The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to John. Glory, Glory to, to you, you Lord Christ. Christ. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And when he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise, Praise be, be to you, Lord Christ. Christ. Good morning, everyone, and welcome. It's a delight to have each of you here with me this morning. Let me pray. Father, I do pray that the words of my mouth, the meditations, the thoughts of all of our hearts will be pleasing and acceptable to you, for we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. There was an article in the Wall Street Journal on Monday that caught my attention. The title is The Surprising Surge of Faith Among Young People. I saw that and I thought, huh, maybe something positive about Christianity and Gen Z. Uh, and then I read the article. Uh, according to the research in the article, a third of 18 to 25-year-olds now believe more than doubt in a higher power. And that's up from one-fourth in 2021. And the, attrib or the article attributes this surge in faith to the pandemic, which was Gen Z's first real crisis. And now they're looking for something that's bigger than themselves and beyond themselves to give them meaning and purpose in life. But the key word to pay attention to in the article is higher power which can include a Christian conception and belief in God, but it's not limited to that. In fact, the author goes out of her way to emphasize that organized religion, what we're doing here this morning, is not where Gen Z is turning. They feel increasingly disconnected from the church, and note the technology term there. So what they're turning to since the pandemic is that... Um, they're, they're looking to the internet to explore their faith following certain spiritual personalities on social media. And so I've signed up for TikTok and no longer going to be preaching here at a pulpit, but somewhere in the metaverse. But that's the surge in faith. It's this increased individualized spiritual exploration of an impersonal power that makes no particular claims on your life, on your ethics, your morality, your relationships. And it's taught by strangers on the internet. And the question is, is that what we need? Is that what we need to live well in this life through this world? What do we need? John 10 will tell us. And so three points this morning. The first point is the context. 
Our gospel reading from John 10 is a common Easter tide passage, and it's a well-known passage, or at least the image of Jesus in it. It's this image of a shepherd. It's one that we've held on to in our collective cultural consciousness, and probably because we like it. And I wonder if we like it because we don't understand it. Because shepherds and sheep are dead metaphors to us, and so we can fill them with whatever content that we want and use them for our own ideas and our own ends. We probably think of shepherds similarly to how we think of sheep. And we learn about sheep through things like mobile petting zoos at at preschools, which we have one here. We know sheep to be safe and cute and soft and weak, and we probably think shepherds are similar. We, We assume that the weaker the animal, then the weaker the caregiver, but the opposite is true. The weaker the animal, animal, the stronger the caretaker has to be because of the enemies and the threats against the sheep. But also, the gentler the caretaker must be because of the animal. So it's strength with gentleness that's required of shepherds. So shepherds aren't safe. They're not cute. They're not soft or weak. They're not undemanding of their sheep. They're also not unthreatening towards their enemies. And, and neither is Jesus. He is, he is meek. Meek is strength or power under the control of love for others. And I wonder if you've ever experienced true meekness in this life and in this world, because it's rare. All too often, it's complete cowardness or weakness that we experience, or overt abuse, on the other hand. That's what's more common in our world and in Jesus's day. It's that context that we're considering. It's our context as well. John 10 is this long protracted conversation that began several chapters ago in chapter seven between the scribes and the Pharisees and Jesus. And it's a conversation that has now escalated into an argument. The scribes and the Pharisees were the religious leaders of the day. And they began the conversation by telling Jesus that he had a demon. And then they tried to arrest him. And then Jesus said, your father is the devil. Not a very nice conversation that was happening. But these men were the ones that the masses listened to and followed. They were the ones that the people were, quote unquote, exploring their spirituality like Gen Z with the various social media personalities. And Jesus goes after them like a shepherd with a wolf. Notice the words that he uses in verse one. He speaks about a thief and then a robber. And what's the difference between a thief and a robber? Both steal, but a thief does so secretly without violence. Whereas a robber uses violence, thieves trick, manipulate, but robbers overpower. And that's what Jesus is saying, that these leaders, these trusted, believed in, followed after men were doing to the people of Israel spiritually. They were stealing from them. They were killing them, crushing their souls, destroying and taking their life. And many people didn't probably even realize that that's what was happening. Others might have realized it, but they were too scared to speak up. And I wonder if you know what that is like to not realize it at the time, but to figure out later that someone you trusted and listened to and followed and even loved was tricking you and stealing your life, not protecting you, not providing for you, not cultivating what Jesus speaks of as abundant life, but taking it. After 17 years at All Saints, I've seen many marriages like this. Someone wakes up one day and the spouse that they married is not the spouse that they now are married to. They don't even know the person. Or maybe you had a family like this. Maybe you had parents like this. And you listened to them and you followed them. You didn't realize they were stealing from you spiritually and emotionally. 
You thought that your family was like all families. All families were like that. It was normal. It wasn't normal. Or maybe it's at work. Maybe you've known this there. Have you watched the movie Bombshell uh, with Charlize Theron, Nicole Kidman? It came out several years ago. It's about the downfall of TV exec Roger Ailes in 2016, one year before Harvey Weinstein and the Me Too movement. And he was ultimately let go because he created and fostered a culture of sexual harassment and even sexually abused many women there in the workplace. And it's not a great film, but it captures the experience of what it's like to work for a boss who somehow uses you and harms you and exploits you. And some of you have worked for bosses like that. And that's part of the application that we have to make here. It's not simply a passage about religious leadership. It is, it's where it begins, but we have to extend the application to any form of leadership. Because if you are a leader of any kind with any people in any sphere, you are a shepherd. And this passage shines a bright light on you, a spotlight on you. It asks you, how do you lead? And what is the result of your leadership? What does it do to your your students if you're a teacher? Or your players if you are a coach? Or your children if you are a parent? Or or your wife if you are a husband? Or to your, your direct reports? Or your employees if you have people who work for you? Or even if you're an older sibling? You're a leader. You're a shepherd to those those younger siblings. I promise you. Or even if you're the friend in your group of friends that, that everyone listens to and follows. Or if you're in politics, and many people here are in politics. So this isn't exclusively applicable in the religious sphere. It's applicable in all spheres. But it's especially applicable in the religious sphere. Did you see the report from the Attorney General of Maryland recently about the sexual abuse in the Roman Catholic Diocese there. It's like many reports from attorney generals all across various states. This time, 150 priests having abused 600 victims, mostly young boys, over a course of 80 years. Many of the priests escaped without any accountability or justice. One deacon himself abused over 100 children. And we hear that in Jesus's words, your father is the devil, doesn't sound all that extreme anymore. And, and what spiritual and religious leaders were doing in this day is similar to what has happened in our day. They were using the name of God to, and also the need and the desire that all people have to know God and to worship him, to kill and steal and destroy others spiritually for their own benefit and twisted pleasure. And don't imagine that it's just Roman Catholics who have to deal with this. Just go read the reports about Willow Creek and Bill Hybels or Mars Hill Church and and Mark Driscoll. You've probably seen the infamous podcast about that church. These are two of the most famous and influential Protestant churches in America in my lifetime. And both of these celebrity pastors ended their ministries on the scribes and Pharisees side of this conflict with Jesus. So are we surprised that Gen Z isn't interested in organized religion? I wouldn't be either if I had known leadership like this. And in some way I have, though not directly. But growing up in Enid, Oklahoma, I had one senior pastor who had an affair with a staff member and then another senior pastor who was arrested for soliciting men at a local motel. So we've all known leadership like this at some point because this is the leadership of the world. It is the leadership that sin and brokenness produces. And tragically, too often it creeps into the church. But it has to be said that this is not Jesus, and this is not leadership in the kingdom of God. 
In fact, that's why we have this passage. That's why there is this conflict and this argument in the scriptures, because God himself is saying, this is not the way that it's supposed to be. This passage foresees all abuse of any form within the church, any abuse of power in the church and says, this is not the way of Christ. This is the church being conformed to the ways of the world, not being transformed by Christ to lead differently. And so if you are a leader in any way, you are a shepherd. And a major part of what it means to be human is to need and to long for a shepherd. We all do. It is always our context, always. But point two, the claim. Verse six says that they did not understand what he was saying. Jesus uses this figure of speech, John says, but they didn't get it. They didn't get it that shepherds abound. They're everywhere. And everyone has a shepherd. Everyone hears some voice. Notice that word is used three different times in the first six verses. Everyone hears a voice of some sort and follows everyone. A couple of years ago when I preached on this passage, I mentioned this old book written in 1906 called A Peasant Life in the Holy Land. And the author tells the experience of living life with shepherds in Israel for a little while. And every night they would, they would set up their tents in a circular perimeter, 10 to 12 tents, and they would put all of their sheep together in the very middle. But then in the morning, each shepherd would go off in a different direction and would simply call. And immediately all the mass of the sheep would begin moving and they would all go to their shepherd and to the call. And before long, you would see all these different flocks going off in different directions. And all the shepherds had to do was call. That's the figure of speech. And it's true of every one of us. Every morning we wake up and shepherds call. And each morning, every one of us hears some voice, joins some flock and follows. It's not a question of if we will hear and if we will follow, but whom? Those listening to Jesus, they don't understand it. And so Jesus gets more specific. In verse seven, he says, I am the door of the sheep. In verse 11, he says, I am the good shepherd. And some of you who know the Bible, who've been around the scriptures for a while, probably know and recognize this as two of Jesus's I am statements. Uh, Throughout the gospel of John, there's seven I am statements. And John organizes his gospel around these statements and also seven different miracles that Jesus performs. But in the Old Testament, I am is not just a, a statement of existence or action. It's a name. It is the name that God gives for himself to Moses at the burning bush. I am who I am. Moses says, who shall I tell Israel has sent me? He says, I am who I am. And that's the name that we commonly articulate as Yahweh. Seven different times in the gospel, Jesus takes this name on his lips. And when he says, I am the good shepherd, everyone there, they knew the scriptures. Everyone there, the scribes and the Pharisees in particular, would have known that Jesus was referring to our Old Testament passage that we read, Ezekiel 34. And in that passage, several things happen. One of the things that happens is that the prophet Ezekiel says to all the leaders of that day, you're the bad shepherds. You're bad shepherds. You feed on the sheep. You eat the fat. The fat is what gives meat flavor. It's the pleasurable parts. You're saying you're you're using your pleasure at the expense of everyone else. And you're stealing. Ezekiel says you clothe yourself with what's the sheep. In other words, you take the wool and you clothe yourself. You slaughter the fat ones. You ignore the weak ones. You don't help or heal the sick and injured ones. The lost ones, you just forget. You let them wander. And those that remain, you abuse with force and harshness, you rule them. And so by saying, I am the good shepherd, he's saying to all of them, Ezekiel, and now Jesus, you're the bad ones. And also, by the way, they would have known this. 
He's also saying, I'm not only the good shepherd, but I'm God. Because in verse 11, God says, I am, the I am who I am says, behold, I myself, very emphatically, I, I myself will look for the sheep. Verse 15, I will be the shepherd of my sheep. And this passage goes on to speak about King David. We didn't read that part, but it speaks about King David. And by referring to it, Jesus is saying, I am the king of Israel, but I'm not only the king of Israel, like David, I am the God of Israel in the flesh. And I've come to rescue my people from you, bad shepherds. And it's almost a shout. That's the claim, but it's almost a shout, not only to these leaders, but especially to the people, a shout, you are following bad shepherds. And some of you here are, are also because your spouse or your boss or your friend or your boyfriend or your girlfriend or your professor or your politician or your coach or maybe even a pastor at some point is a bad shepherd. Or maybe you're the bad shepherd. Maybe you are the bad shepherd that Jesus is speaking about. Or maybe it's simply our entertainers. The title of the cover article for The Atlantic last month is we're already living in the metaverse, which is again why I'm starting my TikTok ministry. We're already living in the metaverse. And here's the subtitle. Reality is blurred, boredom is intolerable, and everything is entertainment. And it's a great summary of the article. And it's really the the argument of the article, and that is that we've bent everything in our culture towards entertainment, including our news and our teachers and our politicians. Now, leaders of any kind are expected to perform for people in order to keep and maintain our decreasing attention spans and also to distract us from normal everyday life. The metaverse is this virtual world on the internet where people interact through headsets and it makes the experience very immersive. You've probably, some of you experienced it yourself. But the word was coined in 1992, a long time ago when I was in high school, by this dystopian sci-fi novelist, Neil Stevenson, in his novel, Snow Crash. There were this, this group of dystopian sci-fi authors that were writing in that day in the 80s and 90s, and they predicted that the technology that they were experiencing as they saw it advancing, they thought that we in the coming years would increasingly seek to inhabit our our illusions of our entertainment. And that's really the main word of the article, inhabit. And listen to this quote. He says, in the future, the writers warned us that we would surrender ourselves to our entertainment. We'd be so distracted and dazed with our fictions that we'll lose the sense of what is real or make our escape so comprehensive that we cannot free ourselves from them. The result would be a populace that forgets how to think, how to empathize with one another, and even how to govern or be governed. And then he cites politicians who are first actors and celebrities, and then news anchors who are now personalities that are hired and fired based upon ratings, not in their accuracy or skill in reporting the news, so much so that there's no distinction between the news and entertainment anymore. They're each the same. One has become the other. And the point is, if the article is right, and I think at least part, some things in the article are right. If it's right, then we're surrounded with bad shepherds. Maybe more so now than any other time in the world because they have such a greater reach in and through the internet and social media and things. And our entertainers have become our shepherds. And they're nothing like the good shepherd. And here's the good shepherd's claim. It's simple. I am what you need. I am what you want. I am what you were created for. 
I am the voice that you're listening to, that you're seeking to hear in all the other voices that you're listening to. So that's the context, that's the claim, but here's the result. Point three, where does Jesus' shepherding lead? If he's the good shepherd, where does he lead? And there's one word at the very center of our passage that serves as the key to everything in our passage. And it's in verse 10. It's the word life. In verses one through nine, Jesus is talking about losing life. Then in verse 10, he says, I came to give it back. That's why I came, to give back the life that you've lost and been taken. To give them new life that's actually life, not life that's an illusion of our entertainment and distraction, but abundant life. The word that Jesus uses there is perissos in Greek. It literally means all-encompassing or, or all around or overflowing, even flooding, a flooded life, a life that's not just life in one part of life, but in every area of life, a life that's flooded with goodness and peace and beauty and strength, a life that is flooded with God himself. And that's the result that's promised in verse 10. And then verse 11 tells us how that promise comes to us. Jesus says, the good shepherd lays down his life. Verse 14, again, I'm the good shepherd. Verse 15, I lay down my life for the sheep. That is the result of leadership with Jesus. That's where he leads. He leads to himself, laying down his life, the very loss of his life so that we might be given life, abundant life, a life flooded with God. And that is the key to this passage. It's the key, in fact, to every passage, the key to Christianity as a whole. Jesus's life taken from him so that that life might be given to us, the end of his life or the beginning of our life. Because this is what happens to us in this world. Sin always results eventually in stealing, killing, and destroying ourselves or others. But the unique hope of the Christian faith is that God has entered into that result. He's entered into it. He's experienced it for us, and he's defeated it for us. As Peter says, in order that we might die to it, in order that we might be separated from the very experience and the rule that sin has over us, and we might begin to live differently, abundantly, because we're now listening and following a very different shepherd. In fact, what Peter talks about is us being healed. Think about the contrast. Us being healed by Jesus's wounds. Do you know that the word of Jesus's wounds can heal you, can heal you. And so what is your wound? Is it something that you've done or something that someone has done to you, stolen from you, killed you, crushed you, destroyed you in some way? Have you been rejected? Because Jesus was rejected. Or have you been abused? Because Jesus was abused. Statistics say that a third of women in our society have been sexually abused in some way. Have you been abused? Or have you been divorced? Because on the cross, Jesus was divorced from the most intimate and eternal relationship that has ever been or ever will be, divorced and separated from God the Father. Or have you been cheated or robbed or stolen from? Because Jesus had everything taken from him. He was stripped naked and crucified naked, having lost everything. Or do you know regret or shame, or embarrassment, or fear, or anxiety, or mental anguish. Because on the cross, Jesus suffered the full weight of all spiritual and emotional weight of all evil in this world, fully and completely, in order that he might take it from you, that he might bear it, lift it off of your shoulders, lift it off of your soul, and bear it himself, and give you himself. 
give you his life and his relationship with God, his life in the spirit and his joy and his future and his peace. And when you accept that, if and when you accept that and know that, it can't not change you. Do you see what Peter says will result? Peter says that you will have a new capacity to endure unjust suffering. He says you won't revile because Jesus didn't revile. You won't revile others. Do you know what it means to revile? It means to insult ruthlessly or to disparage or to criticize mercilessly. And the gospel gives you a capacity to not do that, to resist and to ignore harmful words because they don't strike you. They don't reach to the very core of who you are. They don't reach down into the most protected and intimate parts of your soul because you have a new depth to your soul. And those killing words, they can't reach there. In fact, I think that that may be the Christ-given capacity that is required above all else to be a shepherd, to be a leader of any sort of a life flooded with God so that you can endure destructive words without letting them strike the hidden and protected depths of your soul. And then you don't respond in anger and cruelty and bitterness or insecurity or apathy, but love, meekness, strength, and the power of love for others. Who doesn't want a life like that? Who doesn't want, who doesn't need a life like that? You can have that life. Because Jesus came and he's the good shepherd. So listen to him, read his word. You'll hear his voice and you will, you'll hear him telling you of himself. And the result will be that you yourself can become a shepherd who stops taking life from others, lays down his or her life for others. So listen to him, follow him, lay down your life. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly father, we do pray that in and through your word, that we would hear of Jesus. We wouldn't simply hear of him, that we would hear him. And that in hearing him, that our souls, our very lives would be flooded with your life. And that we might have lives that are different and abundant. Lives that lay down themselves for the sake of others. May we be that people, in part, Lord, because we need it. But may we be that people also because the world needs it. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.